Welcome, Welcome to the Best, to the of, best seven of Seven Podcast. Podcast. Your host, Hunter Costley, dives deep into all things NBA, MLB, and more. And now, and now, please welcome your host, Hunter Costley. 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 What's up, guys, and welcome back to another edition of the Best of Seven Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Costley, and today's show, we are going to talk about the return of the NBA season. So it looks like we are going to get the NBA officially back sometime towards the end of July. July 31st is the tentative start date, and then the NBA finals will be set to end no later than October 12th. And that gives teams plenty of time to get back and get ready to play some games before the playoffs start. So what it sounds like is going to happen is they're going to do one neutral site at the Walt Disney World of Sports uh, down in Orlando, Florida. It's tentative still. Technically, it's all still tentative. Uh, They need to get an agreement from, sounds like Disney. But it sounds like it's pretty probable to go through. And what they're going to do is they're going to bring back 22 teams out of the 30. So eight teams will not make the playoffs. So those eight teams will be entered into the lottery automatically for the draft. And the 22 teams that are remaining consist of the eight teams that are currently in the playoffs, if the season were to officially end today, and then six teams that are within six games of the eighth seed. So that only leaves one team in Eastern Conference, the Washington Wizards, and then five teams in the Western Conference. And... Basically, what the NBA is trying to do is give teams that were within striking distance of making the playoffs a chance to still do that because there were about 20 games left. And, yeah, I mean, four or five teams that were within realistic shot. I don't think, so, a couple of the teams that are going to make it in the West or they're going to be brought back, the Kings and the Spurs, they don't have much of a chance. They're like six games out. The Spurs just lost the Marcus Aldridge for the rest of the season to shoulder surgery. And I just don't see it from the Kings. The real winners here are the Pelicans and the Trailblazers, who are about three games back, uh, three and a half games back apiece in the Western Conference. So there's going to be eight games when the season returns before the playoffs start. So eight games for those teams to try and make up some ground. And what happens, though, is... The team in each conference, if a team within each conference is within four games of that eighth seed, it becomes a best of two play-in for that eighth seed. So say the Pelicans make a run, or even if they just stay where they are now within four games of that eighth seed, you would technically have a best of two winner makes the playoff scenario between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies who hold the eighth seed. And basically, the Pelicans would have to beat the Grizzlies twice, and the Grizzlies would have to just win once, and they would make the playoffs. Now, I'm not sure what happens if multiple teams come up in that scenario. I think what I read is that it's just going to be regular tiebreaker rules for that play-in spot, which um, I think is probably... Uh, point differential or something like I I don't know I don't know what the NBA tiebreaker is for a play-in spot but something along those lines so you wouldn't have multiple teams uh, for that playoff spot so then you'll have eight teams and 
in each conference, and the playoffs will just play out as normal from their best of seven series until the finals are decided. And the interesting thing is, obviously, it's all going to be played at a neutral site in one place, so there's no home court advantage. And so that's really interesting. So as far as the home court advantage goes, it's it's a weird thing. So teams like Utah and Denver who get an altitude boost, they automatically lose that. And those are real things, and players talk about that, and people talk about it when they go to Denver for football games. You'll hear NFL players talk about it. That altitude difference makes makes a difference. It takes getting used to. So those teams automatically lose that. And then you have a team like the Lakers, who potentially you could get a Lakers-Clippers Western Conference Finals. And that is a huge advantage for the Lakers, in my opinion, because L.A. is a Laker town. It's predominantly filled with Laker fans. Even at Clippers games, you can watch them. And Bill Simmons talks about this all the time on his podcast. They're still 50 to 60% Laker fans, even at Clippers games. So a series between those two and a building that they usually share for a home court would definitely favor somebody like the Lakers. So that's an interesting mix in this neutral setting as well. It really plays a part. And then a team like Milwaukee, who's just been dominant at home, they have an awesome home court advantage. They play well there. Oklahoma City is another place like that. They get a big home court advantage. Teams like that, I do think, will be be affected by this to an extent. Teams like the Rockets and, to an extent, the Clippers and other teams, I don't think will have as much of an effect. But I do think there's some teams that can can definitely definitely bring in a home court advantage in that area. And so, like I said briefly earlier, I don't think there's much of a threat from the Kings, the Spurs, or the Wizards to get those eighth seeds. The, the Wizards are about six games back of that eighth seed from Orlando. So I think, I think they're pretty set. The Pelicans and the Blazers are very interesting. I think the Pelicans, had they been together all year, would already be in the playoffs. And they've played like a playoff team since Zion came back. They're just a good collection of talent. They just they were a little banged up at the beginning of the year, got off to a slow start. They do have some young guys, but they've got some vets and some experienced guys, and they went on a terrible losing streak in the middle of the year. And then they kind of started to get healthy and clicked, and they've been really good in the last month, month or so, or month last month, month or so of when the NBA was still playing. And they're an interesting team because now Zion comes back even more rest, even more healthy, you would think. Um, a little bit more explosive. Should make him a little bit better on defense where he's lacked a little bit, but he's been otherworldly on offense. And Drew Holiday, guys like that who tend to get banged up every now and then, um, gives them a chance to get healthy. So that's really interesting. But also the Blazers, if they get Nurkic back, um, Joseph Nurkic and Zach Collins, two of their big men who are both really good and really good defenders, and they've been hurt most of the year, that's big for them as well. And that makes for really interesting scenarios with about eight games left. I mean, a bad eight games from the Grizzlies and a good eight games from either one of those teams, they could just take the eight seed outright and make the Grizzlies have to play in that playing game having to win twice. It's it's really interesting. And I think 
the NBA did a good job as best as they can based on the scenario, giving some teams a chance to make the playoffs and but not bringing everybody out and stretching out the season. And I think it's going to be be an interesting couple months of NBA and at least we get sports back. People people are ready for sports. They need something in their lives um, to kind of help usher us along during this time. And I think it'll be really good. And I'm really, I'm really excited for it. So with that being said, I want to talk now about kind of who, just from a pure basketball standpoint, I think is my favorites to, to make a run, obviously, and make it to the finals and eventually succeed and win the finals. And so I do think Although the East is deeper and the West is always deep, I think it's a, it's a three-man race. I think it comes down to the Milwaukee Bucks, the LA Lakers, and the LA Clippers. There's a couple teams in there that I think could could sneak their way into a Western Conference bid and, and make a run, uh, mainly the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference, the Miami Heat, or the Philadelphia 76ers, especially as a low seed if they kind of get it together. Teams like that. The Celtics are really good. The Raptors are really good. They're definitely going to be challengers and prove to be tough obstacles for the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. I'm not putting a slight to them. I just, there's something missing from those teams that makes me believe that they're a title contender and a contender to take down the Bucks. And I know that they both have played the Bucks tough throughout the last couple years despite losing and adding players. But like I said, I just think the Bucks have gone to another level this year. I think everybody on the team has gone to another level. I do worry a little bit about Eric Bledsoe scoring in the playoffs, but he's such a good defender that he kind of makes up for that in other areas. And I think everyone's just improved a little bit. Brooke Lopez is an outside shooter and is a rim protector and is defender. He's an underrated defender. He's probably going to finish top five in defensive player of the year voting. And Chris Middleton is just rock solid steady. They don't have a true number two, but I think the collection is good enough that with Giannis's improvement, and I do think that Giannis's outside shooting has improved. And even if he's not hitting at a great clip, his willingness to shoot them and his improved percentage will play a difference in the playoffs. Do I think it'll make a massive drastic difference as compared to last year? No, but I think it's a little something there to help him lean on in something he wouldn't have normally had in previous years. So in the East, I'm pretty pretty on board with the Bucks as the clear favorite to make it to the finals. They have their, I mean, by pretty much all advanced metrics, they're a historically great team. They have a point differential of almost 13 points, which is up there with the with the Warriors and the Chicago Bulls in their great dynasty seasons. And yeah, I, like I said, the the Sixers, if they could figure it out, I don't know if they can figure it out with Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons and those guys and Al Horford now in the mix and Tobias. And on paper, they should pose a, a really great threat. They were a very popular finals pick at the beginning of the year. And I still do think there's a world where they figure it out and something clicks now with eight games left in the season and then going straight into the playoffs. Do I think that's going to happen? No, but I think it could. Uh, I don't think it's very likely, but I do think it could. And on paper, 
I do think they could pose a threat. And then, like I said, the Heat, I, I like them as a unit. They, they're a little lower in the advanced metrics, and their point differential is a little bit lower. But I just like their pieces in playoff series. I like Jimmy Butler. I like Bam Adebayo, what he's done, his improvement this year on in all facets of the game. But he's, a, he's the type of rangy, mobile defender that you need. You need multiple of them to stop Giannis, but he's the type that you need to help slow down Giannis. And they just have a slew of good players. And basically anybody they've put in over the last year or so produces, whether that be the rookies and Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Harrow or the vets like Goran Dragic. They just, they've got some good pieces there. Myers Leonard has come over from Portland. He's been productive at times. And they just, and Duncan Robinson, who has obviously been a huge surprise this year with his outside shooting, an undrafted guy and out of three-point contest and a sniper in the NBA. So I just like them. And Eric Spolster, to me, is just an underrated coach. I think he gets the most out of his players. He's kind of known for being just the coach that was there while LeBron and the Heatles were doing their thing. But he's been there for about four or five years on his own now. And this team is just collectively competitive every year. And so the Heat are interesting. The big one is the West, though, which, like I said, I do think it comes down to the Clippers and the Lakers. I do think that a team like the Nuggets could could be a sneaky team that could make a run to maybe the Western Conference Finals. They, they play good defense as a unit. They're very deep. Jokic was amazing his first playoff appearance last year. I do like Jamal Murray, though. He didn't make as big a strides, I think, as a lot of people wanted to this year. I do think he's the type of guy in the playoffs that can be really valuable. He's a tough shot maker and a tough shot taker. And you'll hear Ben Taylor talk about this all the time on his Thinking Basketball podcast. But guys that can make and take tough shots in the playoffs generally scale up a little bit when it comes to scoring just because defenses improve in the playoffs. And so shots become more difficult. They become harder to make just in general. And so those guys... Kobe Bryant, who is a very divisive figure amongst the analytics crowd these days. But in the playoffs, where, yes, the efficiency isn't still otherworldly, but the volume is so good and the efficiency is good enough, and he was just such a tough shot maker, that he's actually an efficient playoff scorer. And so I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I just said all that to say that guys like Jamal Murray, who are tough shot makers and they're tough shot takers, they... They're a little more valuable in the playoffs. And and he showed some of that last year in the playoffs. And like I said, they're just deep. And I think a team like that could could cause some problems. I don't think it's very likely. I don't trust the Rockets, their small ball performance. I'm not a James Harden's playoff choker kind of guy. I don't like Russ in the playoffs. I don't trust Russ to not revert back to his old ball-dominant ways over the last couple years. We've seen it every year where he's going to release the reins and give up some of the responsibility. And he did that throughout regular seasons. And then come playoff time, he was the exact same guy chucking up 40 shots a game. So I don't trust Russ. I'm not anti-Harden. But there's just too many teams with big, long, switchable lineups that I just don't think you can play a main lineup with your center being six foot six and 
I don't think it'll work in the playoffs against the likes of the Lakers and the Clippers who can roll out those big, long wings, multiple guys, Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench to bruise down low if you don't have something to counteract that. And then I'm not worried about the Mavericks or anybody like that lower down a little bit. Good teams, they're going to have a bright future. Luka's a star, and they're going to be a problem for years to come. But I don't think there's there's any any real threat there. But the Lakers and Clippers are interesting. So my lean, if I had to pick, is definitely the Clippers. And there's a couple of reasons why. Mainly, first off, I just don't trust the Lakers role players. And I know that LeBron has taken much worse rosters than this to the finals, especially in ones that don't have a player as good as Anthony Davis, who's probably the best player that LeBron has ever played alongside. But if you go and look at any combination of, I was just scrolling on NBA.com and looking at net ratings among five-man units, and I went and looked at the Lakers, and if you look at any of their best lineups, they all include some combination of JaVale McGee, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, or Rajon Rondo. And that is the majority of their team outside of LeBron and Dwight Howard. I mean, LeBron and Anthony Davis. I don't know why I said Dwight Howard. And I will admit that a majority of that crew has played at times this year very well. They've done some good things, but I don't trust any of them in a playoff series. And the bottom line is their third best player, true best player, is probably Danny Green. And Danny Green is a very productive player. He has been for a very long time. He's played on now multiple championship teams. He's a good tough defender. He's a good outside shooter. And Danny Green is great if he's your fifth or sixth man on a championship team. But when he's your third best player on a championship team, you're probably in trouble. And there's a lot of people out there that are probably screaming, Kyle Kuzma is definitely the third best player. But Kyle Kuzma is a turnstile on defense who's an inefficient shooter. And he's more about the NBA lifestyle and looking good than actually producing on the court. And admittedly, these guys, like I said, have played well this year. I mean, if you look at the Lakers' numbers across the board, I mean, they're fourth in offensive rating, they're fourth in defensive rating, they're second in net rating. They they do a lot of things well. But the NBA playoffs are much different than the NBA regular season. And you need multiple guys that can knock down big shots in big moments. And I don't trust Kendavious Caldwell-Pope to knock down a big shot late in a playoff series. I don't trust Kyle Kuzma to knock down a big shot and, and make defensive stops. And Rajon Rondo, who is probably their backup point guard and shouldn't even really be playing, they should be playing Alex Caruso, who does not play that much. And Alex Caruso is good. And if they could play him over one of these guys, Avery Bradley, like these guys are just... Most of them have never been that good in the first place. And if they were, it was multiple years ago. JaVale McGee, who had some good moments with the Warriors and was really good last year. I just, in the playoffs, I mean, we saw it with the Warriors where he would have stretches with the Warriors where they would play him in the regular season, 16, 17, 18 minutes a game. And he was really productive. 
But then you get into the playoffs where schemes are a little better, teams are a little bit better, and JaVale going after every block shot with reckless abandon and trying to offensively dunk everything back, it just doesn't really work. And, and Dwight, I have a little less concerns with that in the playoffs. I do think Dwight's a little more of a cerebral player. He's obviously a former defensive player of the year. He understands how to play in scheming. I just worry about Dwight as basically an offensive liability at this point in his NBA career when he's not getting dunks and putbacks. And defensively against some of these teams, if they decide to go small, if he can keep up. Now, yeah, he has the advantage on on the defensive glass, the offensive glass, et cetera, in those scenarios, but he can also get run off the floor a little bit. So I have less concerns with Dwight. I actually don't have any problems with Dwight as a player this year, and I think he's really excelled in that role that he's played for them of coming off the bench about 20, 25 minutes a game. And he's been an impactful player again for the first time in a couple of years, despite putting up some good numbers even over the last few years. But overall, I just, I don't, tr- I don't trust those players as much as I do. The guys on the Clippers, I mean, you're talking about a team last year that snuck into the playoffs and took the Warriors to six. They returned basically that same core. They added Kawhi Leonard and they added Paul George. And yes, they sit behind the Lakers in some metrics and in the standings, but they've also been very banged up throughout the year. Paul George has fought off some stuff. Kawhi Leonard has obviously sat a bunch of times for load management. And they've had some other pieces, but if you look at their top five-man lineups, anytime they've had some kind of collection of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with other players, the numbers are pretty through the roof. And they're all small sample sizes, so they have to be taken with a grain of salt. But I do think it shows to what their potential can be when the two of those guys are healthy. When you throw in Patrick Beverly, that's three very, very good perimeter and interior defenders. Patrick Beverly, a good interior defender for a guard. And then you can throw any combination of Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, Zubach, and any of those guys in with those three players. And I think you have, in my opinion, much more solid, reliable lineups than the Lakers can throw out, especially in a playoff series. And I do like I don't love the big man matchups there to be able to match up with, say, Anthony Davis, but I do like that they can probably throw Zubac on him a little bit just to kind of try and slow him down as much as possible for a few possessions at a time, and then they can kind of alternate between at least big, long, strong wing guys like Kawhi and Paul George, and then they've even added one of the Morris brothers, I can't. I can't remember, honestly, which Morris brothers. But they added one of the Morris brothers, and the other one's on the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Clippers have the better one. I'm not sure. But that's another just body that they can throw at him. And so I I just trust those lineups more in the playoffs than I do the Lakers. And it's close, and I don't have a big lean the other, either way. But if I had to choose, I think I'm going to lean the Clippers there. And so I'm probably going to say that I think we'll probably end up with the Clippers-Bucks finals, and who knows, that's probably going to be incorrect. But that's my lean for right now, and then I would lean the Clippers in a finals matchup between those two teams. 
just because they're the epitome of the team that is set up to stop Giannis with Kawhi and Paul George and just big monstrous wing defenders. So that's where I think it would stand right now. That has subject to change once we have teams come back and we kind of see how they're treating the regular season. But I think that's my lean for right now. And so with that, I want to go right into MVP talk. And so I think basically at this point, it's a two-man race. I don't think anything's really going to change that. And I don't think these eight games or so before the playoffs start when they come back are going to have any impact on that as well. So I think it pretty much comes down to Giannis and LeBron. And I think most of the numbers support that as well. I think a couple months ago, you could have talked me into James Harden or Luca throwing their name into the mix back in December, January, when we were still in mid peak part of the season and things were going well, but then Luca got hurt and missed some time. And then James Harden just hasn't been nearly as good in the second half of the year when they were playing. So I think at this point, it just comes down to LeBron and Giannis. And honestly, I, I don't think it's very close. I think it's Giannis by a pretty big landslide. But I know there's lots of people out there that are going to make their cases known for LeBron and why I should at least think about LeBron. So for at least argument's sake, I did take a look into the numbers and where they each stand, just so we have a better idea. And basically, they bared out what I thought they would. So as far as traditional stats go, Giannis on the year averaged 30 points a game, 14 rebounds per game, and six assists a game. On 62% from two-point, 31% from three, and 63% from the free-throw line, on 4.8 three-point attempts and 10 free-throw attempts per game. So basically, Giannis is prime Shaquille O'Neal, but a significantly better free throw shooter. And although he's not a good three-point shooter, three-point shooter. 30 points a game, 14 rebounds. That's pretty much prime Shaquille O'Neal stuff there. Six assists is just icing on the cake at that point. And there's just not much else you can say about the numbers he's putting up. I don't think people realize just how historic Giannis has been over the last couple of years. And LeBron this year has been pretty amazing in his own right. And he's averaging 26 points a game, eight rebounds a game, 11 assists a game, which is a career high and an absurd number and just speaks to his his skills as a passer on 57% from two, 35% from three, and 70% from the free throw line on six and a half three-point attempts a game and five and a half free throw attempts a game. So much lower on the free throws. LeBron doesn't attack anymore. Oh, not doesn't attack anymore, but attacks much less than he used to. He relies on jumpers significantly more, obviously, based on the six and a half threes taken per game. So in my opinion, the traditional stats still lean Giannis, but they're not as big of a gap as you would think. But once we dig into the advanced stats, that's where we get a little different picture. So across basically all the different Box plus minus metrics. Giannis is basically in the top five in total box plus minus, offensive box plus minus, defensive box plus minus across all metrics. And he's got a 15.2 net rating. It's pretty insane. I mean, he's first in PIPM. He's first in box plus minus. He's 
first in real plus minus. He's first in Ben Taylor's box plus minus. And like I said, he's top five in individual, either offensive box plus minus or defensive box plus minus across all of those. So basically you're looking at a guy who is by any advanced metric you want to look at rated as the best player in the league. Any offensive advanced metric, he's pretty much going to be top five player in the league. And any defensive box plus minus metric, he's a top two player in the league. LeBron is very high across most of these, but just not quite nearly as high. He's third in PIPM. He's fourth in box plus minus. He's second in real plus minus, and he's second in Ben Taylor's box plus minus. And he's anywhere from top 10 in most of the offensive categories. He's 34th in defensive PIPM. That's the big outlier. He's top basically 10 in all the defensive metrics. So basically, you have Giannis, like I said, putting up prime Shaquille O'Neal numbers. He's probably going to be one, two, or three in the defensive player of the year voting. He's going to be first team all defense. So arguably the best defensive player in the league, arguably the most dominant statistically player in the league, on arguably the most dominant team in the league, versus LeBron James, who's been statistically based based on the numbers, second, third, or fourth across pretty much all categories, while being a borderline all-defensive player. I mean, he'll probably make the second team. He might make first. It'll be interesting. Most of the metrics paint him as a top 10 defender, so it'll be interesting. And on arguably the second-best team in the league. And so for me, that makes it pretty cut and dry that LeBron is not as good as Giannis at this point. And so the argument as always then comes to outside factors or hypotheticals. So a lot of people will say things like, well, LeBron's 35 years old. Yes, he is. And he's having a fantastic 35-year-old season. But that's not what makes him the MVP. And it's impressive, but age has no factor in the race. Or you'll hear things like, He's had to deal with the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, who meant so much, obviously, to the Lakers in the city of Los Angeles. And it's while that is tragic and him and the Lakers persevering in the face of that tragedy is very impressive, also has no bearing on the MVP race. And so and then you'll get around to the hypotheticals of, well, the Lakers aren't nearly as good if LeBron wasn't there they wouldn't be a playoff team or they'd be a way lower playoff team where Giannis plays on a better team. And if he wasn't there, they would be a top five or six team in the league. And I am not a fan of those type of hypotheticals because you just don't know and you can't just swap players or take them off without replacing them. And so there's just so many factors that go into that. But on a baseline, while the Bucks do play very well without Giannis on the floor, I think they're about five points six net rating without him on the floor. There's no guarantee that that would sustain if those players had to play bigger and larger roles for a longer time. And I've just never bought into the argument that if one player takes a worse team and makes them a mediocre or better team, why is that person more valuable than the person 
who takes a good team and makes them as equally better or even more better, more better, not sure that's a word, than the previous player making the bad team better. So in other words, it's the argument it was the argument used against Steph Curry, mainly before Kevin Durant got there, but even a little bit. And now with Giannis, where they both play on really good teams, and those teams would be solid teams without them. But if they're just really solid to good teams without them, they're not winning a championship without those players. And so if you take those teams and you take them from good, solid playoff teams to all-time teams, not just title contenders, but all-time teams, which is where both this team and Steph Curry's Warriors team back in the day were, that's just as valuable as the guy who takes his team from being a fringe playoff team to a five or six seed that's going to get booted in the first or second round anyways. So I've never bought the whole, well, this guy's team is worse and would be worse off if he wasn't there. I don't think you can use that hypothetical. And that's kind of why. So yeah, basically based on on the numbers, the, the traditional numbers, the advanced stuff, the team numbers, I don't think there's a re- any really big argument for LeBron James. And like I said, people will continue to make that and they'll flip flop and they'll give narratives. But I think just based on just purely statistical and team wise, I, I think it's Giannis and I think Giannis will probably win the MVP, but that's my take on that. And I just wanted to look into that because you always want to look at both sides and I know people are going to argue for LeBron but I think Giannis is, is it for this year. So lastly, I just wanted to finish with a fun little tidbit. So I was on Twitter today, and I saw a video montage of Maurice Bates from his time in Golden State, and it was from a Golden State fan account of some kind, and it was just basically two minutes of Maurice Spates getting buckets like Mo Buckets does. And it caused me, like lots of times those types of videos do, to then scroll to that player's page on Basketball Reference. And I looked at it, and I saw that in 2014-2015, he scored like 10.5 points a game and only 15.9 minutes per game. So he scored almost 11 points in 16 minutes a game, which I thought was just an absurd scoring rate. So it made me want to then look up the top 10 points per game scores for guys who averaged under 17 minutes per game in their careers. And so I did a minimum of 400 games. So I went to NBA.com and just put in these filters. So this is your top 10 for most points per game in under 17 minutes per game. And Number 10 is an old school guy, but numbers 9, 8, and 7 are doozies. They're fun ones, and it's just a fun list. So number 10 was John Clemens, who averaged 6.7 points per game and 15.9 minutes per game. Number 9 is Tyler Hansborough, who scored 6.7 points per game and 16.9 minutes per game. Number 8 is Dewan Blair, who scored 16.8 points per game and 16.6 minutes per game. So if you guys remember him from... Pittsburgh, and then he played for the Spurs. He had no ACLs in either one of his knees. He's a scientific anomaly. And then if you guys remember Brandon Wright, he's number six. So one of those guys out of UNC, 
mid 2000s, lots of talent, lots of potential, and just never put it together. I think he's playing overseas now. He averaged seven points per game and 16.2 minutes per game. Mike Scott, who's still currently playing, playing with the Philadelphia 76ers, seven points per game and 15.6 minutes per game. Pat Riley from back in his Lakers days, he averaged 7.4 points per game and 15.5 minutes per game. Mike Glenn averaged 6.7 points per game and 16.2 minutes per game for the Hawks and Knicks back in the 70s and 80s. Craig Smith, who's a weird one from late 2000s, early 2010s, played for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He averaged 7.6 points per game and 16.9 minutes per game. Mike Evans, if you guys remember from the Denver Nuggets back in the 80s, he was kind of a spark plug, bench scored for them in the late 80s, 7.7 points per game and 16.7 minutes per game. And only fitting in number one is Maurice Spates with 7.9 minutes per game and 15.1 minutes per game. So that is your top 10 point per game scores in 17 minutes or less. I just thought that'd be a fun little tidbit after seeing that video. So lastly, before I go, I just wanted to say a couple thoughts on just what's been going on over the last week plus or so. And I just feel like this is one of those times where if you have a platform, you should use it to, to speak out and speak up. And so I'm going to try to not, be too politically based with what I say here. And my main message is, as of recording this, we're about nine days into people protesting across the entire country, um, multiple cities and droves of thousands of people against systematic racism, police brutality, racial inequality. And it's been pretty crazy to see the outpouring of people for these these protests and and what they stand for and i think it's a time that obviously there's a lot of division amongst people in the country and i think it's a time for people to realize that at this point 9 plus days that there's something going on, that there's there's hurt and there's pain and there's anger and there's frustration. And it's coming from minorities, it's coming from the African-American community. And at this point, it's not just about something that happened the last few days or the last couple of weeks or even the last couple of years. It's, it's, 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 years, 200 years worth of, of feelings and emotions coming out. And I think a lot of people are very quick to jump to conclusions on things, whether they be seeing people looting or rioting or tear gas or rubber bullets being shot or people being injured. and I think with that stuff happening, the message of the protest and what is happening can get lost. And I think my biggest advice would be 
to just to just listen and listen to the people around you who look differently differently than you that come from different places than you and listen to what they're saying listen to their stories listen to their pain listen to their hurt and be a voice for them or be the voice of change and and use what they're telling you to look inward and see where you can be better where you can do better and so we can we can strive to be the best collection of people that we can be so just empathize with people listen and look inward at where you can change where you can be better because we can all be better we can all change and it's possible for people to change I think there's a lot of good out there and there's a lot of good people. And I think there's a lot of people who can do better and they can be better. And so listen to those around you, hear what they're saying and use what they're saying. I just wanted to say some stuff. Yeah. So if you came here for straight sports talk, I'm sorry. I, I can't give that to you, but I felt it was necessary to say some words but from now on, for the most part, it should be sports. But I felt like it was necessary to say a few things. So as always, thanks for being here with me, guys, for this episode. And I look forward to talking to you guys again. So make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review. You can find me on Twitter at HunterCost35 and should have the website up here soon, bestof7media.com, and have some articles up and running for you guys. So thanks for being here, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Best of 7 podcast. Tune in next time as we continue to dive deeper into all things sports.